live hello everybody <laughs> oh my gosh it's always the openings that are the hardest for me but this is a new episode of making sparkles the podcast um many episodes i keep saying the tagline but now we're just gonna call it making sparkles because when i write music i like to think i'm making it with sparkles i don't know okay I'll probably keep this because I'm inherently lazy, but just know that I realize that this is pretty shitty. <laughs> so today I want to kind of talk about the album I'm working on and kind of some of the trials and tribulations and where I'm at. As you've listened to other episodes, I'm all about trials and tribulations. Um, and some housekeeping. Again, I put these things out because, I don't know, I really do it for myself to kind of speak through some of my thoughts, but at the same time, I always feel like other people out there that might be working on an album, whether it be punk rock or instrumental or pop or whatever, um, the same kind of rules and principles can always kind of apply. So, so I'm just going to kind of like dive right in. Um, so, <laughs> so, okay. So the album... Uh, it was just to recap. So in 2007, I worked on an instrumental project called Minotre Moutier. It was originally scored for piano, bells, accordion, violin, and cello. And Minotre Moutier, it was, this is before streaming became popular. So, so I had CDs of it. Um, we recorded it in San Diego, California at Earthling Recording Studios, which is actually right next door to Blink-182's old studio. Now I really feel like I'm dating myself and I'm really old, but whatever, fuck it. Anyway, <laughs> so, I re I re so I put the album out. It didn't go anywhere because it was just a CD. Um, 2007 was kind of this time where I was still experimenting and I was very, very headstrong, so I didn't go through the normal channels of trying to find distribution or find an agent or anything like that. I just kind of put it out. Um, and then about like a couple years after that, I took that project that didn't really go anywhere um, and I ended up putting it through a music publisher called Audio Socket. Um, Audio Socket isn't very popular anymore, but back in the day, it was kind of the go-to place to kind of self-publish your music for licensing and sync rights and stuff. And and I had some success. I, I still make a little bit of moolah off of that after all these years, which is always exciting. So anyway, so I released that. Um, the band, oh God, this is going to sound so funny. The band, I had created kind of an instrumental band called Little Man T. <laughs> Little Man T. <laughs> you can tell how precocious I was back then. Um, and so, so the whole premise of what I was kind of doing was, I was like, oh, I'll put this instrumental band together. I was really heavily inspired by like John Bryan, um, Gil Glover, I think his name was, the, the guy who did the Waking, the Waking Life soundtrack, and a lot of those influences. But because I was still a punk producer, 
um, I would kind of pitch this weird band and be like, I want to do shows. And we did a shit ton of shows, but we always got billed opening for like other rock and punk bands, which actually, in hindsight, I think was really fun. Um, it's one of those things where I always kind of look back on my life and kind of go, if only I'd kind of savored those moments a little bit more, I would have found them more enjoyable. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, I mean playing in sewer shows we played all over the place we had a we had a we had a manager at the time Kevin Cower who uh, later on went on to move to Seattle and now is a pretty big club promoter out there uh, so yeah it was it was a fun time we were all in our 20s we were all headstrong and we we're all crazy uh, when I first wrote Manotre Motier it was kind of all my pieces are always narrative and and the concept was, I had this partner that I've been living with for a couple of years and we're, we're having issues. I think every relationship, you kind of get to this period where you have a diff, it's just difficult to communicate with each other. Um, especially like when you're on two very different wavelengths and I know it's very hard to believe, but back then I was even crazier. I had like fuchsia hair, I had piercings, I, I was insanely manic. I would just dance and sing show tunes in the middle of the crowded street in San Diego. Um, and my the guy I was seeing at the time was exact opposite. Scientist, uh, which is kind of funny, irony. <laughs> but you know, he was he was actually studying alcoholism. <laughs> which is kind of an irony given that I'm an alcoholic. Uh, but, you know, he, he was very stoic, um, did not like to show emotion. But every once in a while, he would have these little pockets of just sheer joy and kind of like just like quirkiness. And it would kind of remind me, oh, this is why I'm with him. This is why, why I like this. But I would say about 65, 70% of the time, there was just constant chaos and friction. We just, we couldn't relate to each other. Uh, I was definitely tying my emotional well-being in with, um, with my professional career. So, so it, there was a lot of chaos. Um, I did, I think I did like 10 indie film scores for projects that pretty much didn't go anywhere. And even with those projects, it was always like, I was like trying to get them to go, hey, film project, you still have to pay me. I have to pay everyone else. Um, you know, everything was recorded for the most part with the exception of this little album in my in my living room. <laughs> like one anecdote, just because I think it's kind of cute, was that um, in San Diego, we were in this condo building and I would bring in the strings and the accordion and we would all have rehearsals like once a week in my living room. And it would turn into this whole event where the neighbors would show up with food. And, and very quickly my rehearsal sessions would turn into just these like community kind of potlucks where people would show up with food and they'd have wine and we'd all just kind of hang out. Um, <laughs> instead of a couch because we were so poor we had a mattress that we put with uh, pillows on and we called it the bofa <laughs> get it bed plus sofa bofa um god i yeah it anyway see and then i digress but so that was kind of the inkling of me getting into instrumental music um and i've always had this contemptuous relationship with instrumental music much like 
this relationship I had with this guy back in the day. Um, so Minotra was the only album we ever released, and we didn't even really wide release it. It was just an independent thing. And then trying to remember back. So so album came out, um, and then everything kind of dissolved from there. I think trying to keep a band that's an instrumental kind of niche band alive just required so much effort. And my relationship with instrumental music was always kind of back and forth. It was like, well, if I'm not going to be wildly successful, then really what I want to be is I want to be a punk rock producer and I want to work with singing voices because I thought that's what would make me famous and that's what would um, catapult me to the next level and the next step. And so I'd have these periods where I would completely neglect the instrumental side and then I'd just work on trying to find singers and working with them and then singers as you've heard on all my other previous episodes singers always end up driving me crazy and then I would leave the singers go back to the instrumental and it was always this constant back and forth and Minotra was the one period in time where I was actually very focused and I was like I just need to get this thing out and you just say these things and and this long kind of long way round of explaining this um so then so the album was is French for my other half and really what I was delving into was kind of the callback response that I wish I was having with my partner at the time he was very non-emotional and it was always very difficult to communicate because both of us right I'm this crazy fire sign all over the map he's this very stoic introverted human being and we just were never on the right wavelength and so this album was kind of my attempt of like trying to fill the gap what is it that I wanted him to say and and that's what I put into this instrumental album so the album came out um it got well reviewed like I think LA Times picked it up San Diego Reader picked it up like people liked it but it was always like because it was such a jazzy kind of weird album people would always kind of equate it to it's something you would hear at a French cafe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when you're an artist or artiste, um, hearing that type of thing at the time, I would take offense to, um, and it created a little bit of consternation. But that's neither here nor there. So we fast track over a decade, and I've kind of come back around. So so we did the Book of Arius, and it was an extremely joyful experience. Got through that. And then it was time to figure out what I was going to do next. Um, Naturally, I'm going to put out the second part of the Book of Arius. But because of the heaviness and the denseness and what's going on, it's not something I can just kind of pull out of my butt. And I I kind of like, with the assistance of my music supervisor, Kaylee, kind of needed to map out and organize a kind of like multi-year plan. So I was like, oh, well, I think that it would be nice at the end of each year to start to address the next part, you know? So, so the book of Arius, hopefully by the end of this year, the idea was I do the part two and then by the end of the next year, I would do part three. And then a year after all that, then I would compile and rearrange everything into a full album just to give it a full kind of like breathing room scope. Um, I think now that, my life has changed in a way that I'm not as concerned about, you know, what six quote unquote, what I thought success was. 
I have a little bit more of that punk in me where it's like, well, this is what I'm trying to say, so fuck it. I don't give a fuck. But I still want to output stuff. And there's still tons of all kinds of gobbledygook and emotional issues that we'll dive into later that I deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> Anxiety. So we get to this point and I'm addressing and I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, well, I would like to work on a real album because on Spotify, when you go to an artist's profile, albums kind of take precedence because you've got the way you look at Spotify, it shows you the latest release. Then it shows you the most popular tracks and then it shows you the albums. Well, for me on my Spotify page, if you've noticed, I don't have a lot of foot traffic. So the book of Arias will show up as the latest release, but there aren't really any popular songs to pull from. And then right after that is the very first um, kind of compilation album I put out a couple years ago called 1981. So really, I kind of came to it, came to working on this current album a little bit of ulterior motives. The idea was I already had this eight track pseudo album I'd put out. It was like 35 minutes. Um, and I was never really pleased with it because I wasn't smart enough to know all the inventive and fun ways to kind of work with, um, with instrumental music. I was kind of just hacking it together. I think the coolest thing we ever did was we took the violin and the cello and we recorded it using a ribbon mic to split out the signal. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was about it. It was very kind of hastily put together recording. Um, and even then, I don't even have the master files anymore because this is back before I realized the importance of master files and I can't get... Anyway... So I thought it would be fun. So I was talking to the music supervisor and I was like, oh, well, I've already got the album done. I'm just going to redo it for just string quartet using kind of the weird punkish pedals and effects techniques I have. And then we'll put out this album. It'll take like a month to do. It'll be fine. And as you all know, <laughs> that is not what happened. <laughs> and, and so, so that's getting us up to speed. So just to kind of recap, uh, 10 years ago, I was living in San Diego, and I was this crazy, fuchsia-haired, pierced-up, um, crazy punk rock producer kid working with an accordion, violinist, cellist, and I was playing bells and keys, and I was just kind of a manic, crazy person. Um, 10 years later, I'm a little bit wiser. I'm definitely a lot older. I've got definitely got a lot more gray hairs. Um, and now I'm trying to kind of revisit some of these themes and stuff. So talking to Kaylee, I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Super, super simple in and out job. It's not going to take long. I'm going to buffer and give myself three extra months, but really I'm going to have this done in a month. We'll bring the string quartet in. We'll record with the audio engineer, Mark Goodell. We'll record it at Seaside Lounge. It'll be perfect. Everything will be awesome. And that's kind of where things left off. And at this point, we're looking at like probably late December, early January. All of this was being discussed right after I'd finished um, part one of the Book of Arius and put it up on Spotify. And that's where things kind of take a turn. And I wouldn't say turn for the worse, I would say turn for the better, um, just because it really kind of allowed me to kind of dive in. So that's where we get to that. And obviously, as you know how I like to work, I work in chunks. So, so this is this chunk. And through editing magic, we're going to get into the next chunk, and that's right now. And we're now. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a pop filter. 
Um, one of the benefits of working in instrumental music is you don't need pop filters because <laughs> I hate pop filters. Usually with singers, I'm telling them, let's just get you on a condenser mic, move the condenser mic back. Um, you're also always having to teach singers how to properly sing into a microphone because they always think it's like American Idol. They just grab the mic and start belting away. And I'm like, no, 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 there's a whole other dynamic. Like lip placement, consonants, all of these are very, very crucial. And I will spend hours working with singers in the studio on getting them to the sweet spot. Because um, the general rule of thumb is always let's not fix it in post, let's just record it right the first time, and then we don't have to worry about it again. Um, although I guess some post engineers don't like that because then they can't charge as much, myself included, but you know, I'm just kind of giving out some kernels of wisdom along the way so it doesn't feel like this is a complete waste of your time if you're listening to this. So, have the album, telling Kaylee, all right, we're gonna bang this thing out. It's gonna be super easy, it'll be fun. It was already kind of commercially successful. I've already, the songs when they were originally released, I made quite a bit of money off of music publishing and sync royalty rights. Um, it was aired on all kinds of commercials. It was on a couple of TV shows. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, this will be great. So I took one song and it originally was like, okay, the most successful song in the lot of the eight was, was Fearful Momentum. So I took that and I was like, all right, I'm gonna toy and I'm gonna kind of rearrange it. Um, and I'm gonna play just a snippet of what I originally kind of tweaked around with. So that, that's just a snippet because you're going to see where I end up going with it. So the original idea was I don't want to do any of the effects or the pedals or any of the crazy stuff. I just want it to be a pure string quartet. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a cash grab. I was like, I'm just going to put out a solid string quartet album. No one's going to listen to it on Spotify. But at the very least, I can make some quick cash trying to pitch it to commercials and like, you know, music placement and all that crap. That's just not how I roll. I just I, I don't have that ability. <laughs> but I did I did put that track out. And obviously, it's all in my MIDI kind of strings. And we've talked about my template and all that fun stuff. Um, that stuff we usually discuss in detail in separate episodes. Trust me. When you see where I'm about to head with this, you'll see that we will be having some episodes where I talk more about the technical side. So I sent it to Kaylee. Kaylee loves it. She's like, oh my God, this is great. I think it's great. Yay. Woohoo. But then that was the easiest track because it's the most commercial track. But then I started trying to dive into some of the other tracks and it was just, it was like pulling, pulling fucking teeth. I just couldn't get it to sound right. It just was very, very difficult to do with just a natural sounding string quartet without me feeling like I've completely whored myself out. So then I started kind of experimenting. I was like, well, maybe 
I can just throw in a couple of pedals and a couple of effects. Um, and so we're going to kind of skip past fearful momentum. So so part of what made Minotre Motier unique was, and, and it's kind of, it's a predominant theme in almost all my music. I love vignettes. I love callbacks through little snippets of music on the same kind of repeating fashion, but I kind of evolve and augment them. And it's kind of a... It's always, I always treat it kind of like a palate cleanser. So the meat are always these big songs that I do. But then I like to have these kind of interstitial songs in between that kind of allow you some breathing room. And it's a technique I do as a writer because it's how my brain operates. Um, I go into these crazy, like I suffer from depression. And my depression always comes out in a more manic, kind of anxiety-driven way. Maybe I'm bipolar. I don't know. I'm sure many would agree I'm bipolar, but, <laughs> but so, so my mental state, I'm always like, I push out and I'm crazy, but then I have this weird moment of like calm and reflection. It's like, it's like writing music to me is like having an argument with your loved one. And when I have an argument with my loved one, it's always heated and crazy and I'm all over the place. And then all of a sudden, after the fact, I can reflect on everything, play devil's advocate, and then all of a sudden understand where everyone's kind of coming from. What I did wrong, where there was miscommunication on, stuff like that. It drives my boyfriend batshit crazy. He absolutely hates it because he's like, why couldn't you just have had this before we had the argument? <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. I need to have the argument to have the moment of reflection. So, so I started diving into these, and originally on the album it was called Minotra A, B, C, and D for the four. There were four of them, right? So you had eight tracks, four interstitials. So I kind of grabbed one of them, and I started just kind of tweaking around with it, and I started adding my special, unique blend of effects pedals and all my craziness. And so I'll kind of, I'm going to share that. I'm going to just kind of dive right in. <laughs> So, and once I did that, <laughs> the floodgates kind of open up and I start looking at my workflow and my progression and I'm realizing that what was going to be a simple eight track album, it just quickly kind of evolved in my head. Um, I kind of was going, all right why not make this the album it was always meant to be when I first wrote it? 
And so the first thing I did was I went, well, I always, because I always have to start with a title. Um, I'm not good at writing something and then kind of titling it later. I always kind of have to come in with a kind of a, a notion, a premise. And then with that premise, then I'm able to kind of build out. Even if it's something I've already written that doesn't really have a title. Like, you know, we've all got like 15 untitled number two songs in our... <laughs> <laughs> in our in our in our dumpster right so i usually will give it a title and i'll kind of work from there so the album i was kind of like well i'm not going to be too original what if i call it my other half the thing is no one's ever really heard monotre motier and that's an eight track and it's with accordion and all these other things it's kind of its own standalone magical kind of place so i think it would be disingenuous for me to a call this project the same project and B, um, try to turn this into something commercially viable because when I first did Min Minotra it wasn't supposed to be commercially viable it just kind of came out that way and, and there are a number of reasons why it came out and I'm not going to fault them because I think it's what produced me, it's what helped me kind of grow as an artist everyone always has that project that they come out with that you think it's one thing and the entire world or whoever else listens to it they all agree it's something entirely different and then you got to grapple with that emotion you know i thought i was putting out something super heavy and crazy and experimental everyone else just thought it was a jazz album you'd hear at a french cafe <laughs> so so it was kind of like you know it was disheartening but i think as i've gotten older i kind of accept that i'm like oh because the there's three phases of an album there's the um there's the original inception of the idea the creation um and then and then the second phase is putting out the album finishing it but there's a third phase that i think a lot of us forget and the third phase is the audience participation when other people listen to this what are they feeling what are they getting from it and i think it's the most difficult part because it's the one part you have no control over you can spend tons of marketing dollars you can you can push it and do all these different things you can create music videos but at the end of the day the audience is going to interpret and perceive that album on their own terms that's what makes art what it is and I will admit it's the one thing I have the hardest time with because I'm a control freak. <laughs> and did I mention I suffer from depression? <laughs> so, you know, my my amazing boyfriend, who I love dearly, he hates that part because he knows what goes through my head. He sees the pain and suffering I kind of go through. So anyway, <laughs> God, I'm fucking nuts. So I kind of go through this and I go through this kind of crazy process. Um, there's another thing that I've, I've talked a lot about on this podcast is that I have horrible stage fright. It's why I'm a producer. Um, it's, it's why I don't sing. It's why I don't perform like I used to back in the day because I don't need to, I don't need to perform to make money. I don't like performing. I like performing when I'm invited on stage by a friend and it's a song I know, and it's like a one-off, like who doesn't love that kind of like gratification, but but actually, like, putting in the time and effort is difficult. Um, it's also why in a previous episode we are talking about how Kaylee and the team want to actually take the collection of music we've been working on and present it and do their own shows with it, which I'm a huge fan of and I'm very excited about um, if that ever gets off the ground. Because not that they won't be able to, it's just 
it's kind of the nature of the beast, right? We always have this thing where we have the best of intentions and we want all this stuff to happen, but at the end of the day, you know, life gets in the way. <laughs> God, that sounds so weird. Anyway, and who? So that's where I'm at. Uh, so I start going through the other eight tracks and I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this right, it needs to be a full length album. And so I start kind of like spreading the wealth and I start kind of constructing a narrative. I think the thing about, so I take Mino Trimotier and I label the album by its full title now, which is just the English translation, which is my other half. And with my other half, I was like, well, with my other half, I want to have both halves, right? I want to have a representative voice of myself. And I also want to have a representative voice of what it means to be in a partnership. So I don't want to dwell, you know, Book of Arias is this insanely heavy, dense subject about abuse and all kinds of crazy shit that happened in my childhood, how it informed the decisions into adulthood, how the decisions of adulthood kind of inform who I am today and how I've kind of learned from all of that. And also I'm trying to make this statement about how I went through these abuses and these trials and tribulations so you know that you're not alone, you can't go through it again. My other half I wanted to be a little bit more, <laughs> didn't really want to go down the rabbit hole. So instead I wanted it to be more insular. It's about a relationship and it's about the kind of um, the dynamics and, and how when you're communicating, when you truly are in a healthy relationship, whatever that really means, um, when you're communicating, there's always this kind of evolving structure. So the Minotra vignettes become kind of the evolution of the relationship as it progresses. The songs, the meat and potatoes songs, are kind of these callback and returns. And so when I started doing this, I started just very simply toying around with the idea of having keys involved in it. Because I was like, well, I guess I don't have to do it a specific way. I don't have to follow these rules because these rules are rules I'm creating. So I just kind of took a stab um, and I just kind of started from scratch, took the whole album. I outlined everything in excruciating detail of like, here are the songs I already have. Here's how the songs would fit. And here are the gaps. Here are the, um, when I think about an album, I always like to think of the gaps emotionally. So this song has this kind of emotional feel to it. And this song has that emotional feel. Can you sit them right next to each other? Or is there something in the middle you need to do? And if there's something in the middle you need to do, that's just a new song, right? And that song, it doesn't have to necessarily be a full song. It can be interstitial. It can be kind of a weird, like, outro, intro section. There's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. I'm a dog person, so I can say that. So I started kind of blocking out. And so I found a gap. And I was calling these gaps Tyler songs. <laughs> because... I knew that those were the places where I was like, I wanted to kind of input my perspective gracefully and graceful as a pun because you're going to find out why. So I wrote this when I'm going to play next. I'm just going to play the whole fucking thing because I'm lazy. Copy paste, baby. So, so I wrote this song using piano, organ, and keyboard and then heavily kind of filtering and tweaking and doing different things through my effects. Um, and again... In a future episode, I will explain in excruciating detail my entire 32-track mix bus, um, all of my pedals that I buy custom-built from Noise Kick Effects out in Baltimore, Maryland, 
all that. This is not that episode. This is a more emotional kind of blocking out an album. So this is the track with just keys that I always kind of in my head was like, I don't know, here we go.
And I'm going to let that kind of crossfade out. I will probably kind of have to clean up my <laughs> my fade-ins on my podcast episode. It only seems fair. So I put that out, and I just sent it to Kaylee. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. But just take a listen. Let me know your thoughts. And she... It, it appeared to be well-received. She actually really dug it. And she's like, I actually really like this. Um, and that's when I kind of went, you know, I'm not opposed to adding the keyboard elements. And I'm not opposed to having these Tyler songs actually be Tyler songs. And so that's where I'm kind of, that's where I was at. So now, so now I've kind of figured this out and I've kind of like cross-referenced this. So I'm like, okay, so... I need to have this balance. So what I did was I created, there's this thing called Trello. And Trello basically is an online free thing and it allows you to make index cards. And then within the index cards, you can make checklists. You can move the index cards to different brackets and groupings. It's just, I'm very big on organization. And I think if you're working on an album, no matter what the scope is, Albums require a lot of organized detail because you're laying the foundation not just for the song, but you're also laying out the foundation for the project as a whole. So you, you, you always have to kind of have the album as a, think of it as like a piece of theater, right? Or like a movie or, or however best you can visualize it. But so you've got this huge project, hour long project typically, and, and you've got all these moving pieces parts. If the pieces parts are too disconjointed and you throw out the album, it it's not a very pleasurable experience and it makes it very difficult. Um, this is why a lot of artists kind of resort to just a bunch of EPs because, you know, having just a couple of tracks, you can kind of throw the kitchen sink, do whatever you want, and then the singles are a hit. But when you do an album, it's an extension. It's not only just singles that people pull from. There's an, there's got to be this kind of narrative flow. Um, it's something that's kind of missing in modern music that I feel like is slowly starting to come back. I feel like people like Benjamin Gibbard and Ryan Adams and, and, and a lot of that crew, they still kind of follow that. And hopefully people will kind of catch up and they'll kind of revisit it. But... <clears throat> I guess somewhere I should like mention Drake, but I don't really listen to Drake. <laughs> but that's the, the that's the whole point is you kind of you throw it in, you start organizing. And so I started organizing out this album. And when I started organizing it out, I was noticing that you have these Tyler songs. You've got these really cool vignettes that I've been experimenting with. And then you got the songs that I actually really liked that I went, OK, these songs are as a standalone string quartet are perfect. So, and then within that, I kind of organized the hierarchy of how things were done. Um, you know, like how, how much complete are they? Like, could I turn this and put this in, put the sheet music in front of people and put it right in the studio? So after doing that, I realized there was one single song and the whole thing that was like locked. Like I, I wouldn't change it for the world. This is the go-to. This is kind of the holy grail where the strings would sit and I don't need to add anything. So I'm going to plop that in. Again, this is all VST work, but you know, it's like all MIDI generated strings and stuff like that. But so this one is called Voici, which um, 
it's French. <laughs> Look it up. But uh, so here, here's the, it's one of the closing tracks and it's the one that I feel is very, it, it's the solid string quartet track where I feel like I'll add effects and have fun with the string quartet, but I'm not gonna add any keys to it. And that's here. for the cough but you know <laughs> magic so that's kind of where i was at and again these are just rough demos none of this is stuff that i would actually like send out to the real world but 
but it gives an idea. So it was like, okay, that's my benchmark. If I can get the string quartet to produce a sound like that, then I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to wait for for the studio magic, and then we'll just, that seems like it'll fit really well. But there are other songs that just were never, I think going back in time 10 years ago, there were songs in there that just kind of looped because I didn't know what to do with them. And they were kind of just, it really kind of bogged me down and like stressed me out. So then I was like, all right, those are the prime opportunities where I can start to weave the connective tissue together. I've got these Tyler songs, they're all just keyboards and all kinds of fun shit. Um, and then I got the string quartet songs or solid string quartet songs through some like, you know, punk rock pedals and stuff that sound really cool. But I still need this kind of middle road where I'm kind of showing the bleed through. Because um, again, if it's about a relationship, the relationship can't be these two opposing viewpoints that, you know, I think the, the greatest lesson I learned with the partner I have and that I'm hopefully always going to be with, but the one that I love is that it isn't a battle. That at the end of the day, it's just two pieces coming together to create something new. I know, it sounds really sappy. Get out your tissues and cry. But <laughs> So I started, and so then I took another one of the tracks, and I started testing. And this time, I really wanted to kind of break it out. So I was like, well, if I'm going to incorporate myself, there needs to be more than just myself, right? A Tyler song is gonna have just keyboard elements. A string quartet song is just gonna have a string quartet. But if you have a song where you're combining the, the keyboard element and the string quartet, there needs to be like an extra oomph. And so that's when I've been like slowly, very slowly experimenting with percussion. So I had this track called Tea Party. And Tea Party was one of those tracks that it, it was like an eight minute song on a loop and the cello was just hitting this constant marcato. <laughs> so it was a prime candidate for experimentation. So, so I, I love the show The Good Wife and I love the show The Good Fight, both created by the same team on CBS. Uh, the, good, the Good Wife had Juliana Margulies, who I love. And Christine Baranski's in both the shows. And oh my God, talk about Clutch My Gay Pearls. Like I love Christine Baranski. So anyway, they have the same composer for both shows, and he always does these really cool kind of chamber orchestra things. Um, and the thing I kept gravitating towards was he had these moments where he was like, huh, huh, like, you know, these like kind of snap huhs. So I just started, and I'm not a percussionist, but so I took two wooden spoons, <laughs> started banging them together recording, and to create these kind of snaps and different sounds. And actually by the end of it, I broke one of my wooden spoons, which was a bummer because it was my favorite wooden spoon to cook with. I've since bought other percussive instruments, so I don't keep breaking my kitchen utensils, but so I started kind of incorporating that and kind of weaving it together and trying to kind of find a fun way of flowing that. Um, and so that's what I started experimenting with next. It wasn't, I didn't, I'm not going into it going, everything has to have percussion. I'm not going into it, everything has to have string quartet. And I'm not going, everything has to have keys. It's more about finding this balance. And I think by having Trello 
my organization kind of tool online and then having it dialed in so Kaylee can also see the progress, it's allowing me to kind of like organize and filter through and modify. Um, so this is gonna be the last thing I share because then we got all kinds of fun stuff about kind of the logistics of the album where we're at and some 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 mental health issues <laughs> I've been encountering. <laughs> you know, really fun shit. But before that, so this is where I kind of see the the Tyler plus Aaron songs. My partner's name is Aaron. So so the songs I see where it's more about a collaborative effort, um, this is an example, and that is right here. kind of cut it off because <laughs> i realized uh this is a problem with working on an album you have 13 tracks and so keeping tabs on all your children is really difficult so that one is just percussive i didn't actually add any um keyboards to it because i don't think i will so i kind of lied i didn't lie lie it was just more like a, oh, oh fuck i started hearing it and i was like well no i still want them i still want everyone to hear it because me hearing it kind of brings me back and give, gets me refocused. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, fuck, what am I going to do? So I want to go back and change what I just said because that feels a little bit disingenuous. But so you kind of hear, so I started experimenting, right? And I'm stomping my feet and doing all kinds of recording crazy stuff, like just stuff in my home studio, just, just for shits and giggles. Again, this isn't something that's going to get released. I'm not going to put this on SoundCloud. It's just something I'm kind of like toying around with and just kind of feeling out. But one song I will do in full because I literally just finished it like last week. And by finished, again, these are all just demos. Everything gets re-recorded in the studio. This is just for my frame of reference. Um, and, and this is, oh, this is another takeaway. We're not having a technical episode, but please note that never find yourself saying, oh, I'll clean this up and figure it out when I get in the studio. It's always better to try to do it in your home setup. And the reason I encourage people to do that is because it teaches you what you need or what's going to happen. Because when you go to an audio engineer, that person isn't in your head, right? Even if you have a great relationship with them, you still have to be able to communicate what you're going for. So anytime you can kind of recreate that and figure that out on your own and you can provide that information back to that person, the better. 
totally makes the world a difference. I did it on the Book of Arius. You heard my all my podcast episodes about it. Like being able to go into the studio already having not only everything tracked out, but also having all the different effects and how I wanted to create my buses and all of that. It shaves off. I'm not shitting you. It will literally shave off a half a day in the studio because um, you don't have to experiment. And in some cases, it'll shave off an entire day because it's just easier for you to communicate since you've already done it and you did it on your own time and you already took all of that experimentation and all that effort to do it. So just throwing that out because it was a very important lesson I learned on Arius that I'm still kind of incorporating because there are times I get stressed out and will go into my mental health and my nervous breakdown, but just know that it is important to do these things on your own first. Not for the sole purpose of sharing it, but just so you have a feel for how you're gonna command the ship when it rolls. Um, but here is something I just finished um, that I've been experimenting with between the keys and the string quartet. So here we go, plop it in now. <laughs>
what we kind of did so obviously there it's just the template so i still need to add more of the keyboard sound which you hear in the beginning actually is going to kind of play a little bit more throughout to kind of interleave a little bit more of a melodic structure um pianos obviously got to get re-recorded for reels i was kind of doing a little bit of a midi quantized hybrid just to get it out <laughs> So, so there was a lot of experimentation, a lot of toying around, but I was very happy with it. So I was like, okay. So when you start feeling these things out and you start mapping them out, that uh, there, the stuff starts to give you a little bit more life. So now I'm gonna. So now as we kind of wind down, we get into the kind of the mental health issue. So, as I said before, I suffer from depression. Um, I don't take medication for it. I think. The times I've tried, I just, because it's kind of this hybrid anxiety depression thing that kind of like, it's like a very manic thing. It comes in waves. It doesn't happen all the time. And then even then, I feel like medication always kind of like throws me for a tailspin. I just, I don't deal with medication well. <laughs> but so I got to a point with the album where I got my 13 tracks I've got about 75% of it templated out and I started to stress out a little bit because I was like, okay, this is going to be a behemoth undertaking because now you start kind of figuring out, well, how am I going to make this thing happen? So, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to record the string quartets to a click because I lose some of the flavor. I got all these keyboard parts and I don't know if I'm going to like, you know, it's like we have a couple ways of doing this. Um, because I have my own array of pedals and my patch bay and all these fun things around me, I could, in theory, just record everything here, send them to the studio, we fix it up, and then we add the strings. Or maybe I go in the studio and they have like an actual mic'd piano, maybe they have a vintage Rhodes, maybe they have other things that I don't have. So you quickly can descend into chaos trying to figure out how you're going to do this thing. Because you kind of want to get it like, kind of want to get mapped out before you know you start spending all this money string quartet's like two grand a day studio i've been working out of is like 600 bucks a day you know so i was like i was going to be proactive so i sent out an email to mark goodell my trusty audio engineer that worked on the book of arius never heard anything back not a peep which isn't like him and i was a little concerned 
Um, so then I look on the Seaside Lounge website, and he's no longer listed on the Seaside Lounge website. So I was like, well, that's weird. Why he, you know, Studio B is a lot of his stuff. So I started freaking out about that. So I kind of... So I think the, 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 the normal person in that situation wouldn't sweat it. The normal person would be like, all right, well, maybe I'll just reach out to Seaside directly, find out what's going on. Maybe I will, you know, just actually text Mark and go, hey, have you gotten my email? Oh, but not me, not Manic Tyler. I started freaking out and I just assumed the worst and went, he either doesn't want to work with me anymore or this is a waste of time or he got fired. Like, I don't know what's my, my brain starts firing off. But the positive element to that is like, well, one of the things that I always kind of wanted was the goal was always to be 100% female driven, minus myself, of course. So if this is all happening, maybe I'll just find a female audio engineer, which let me tell you right now, really fucking hard. Oh my God, there, there are not a lot of female audio engineers and the ones that are there are pretty high in demand. So, so I started... I found a couple directories of like, you know, female run organizations that have like audio, you know, people listing their things. And so I started emailing out audio, these audio engineers and I don't, so the problem is when I go into a manic state, I'm not cognizant. It's kind of like I talked about with writing my music. I go through the emotional craziness and then after I let it all out, I have that weird interstitial moment of reflection and I realize I was crazy. So I sent all this crazy email, it was like five pages long to this poor woman where I was like, ah, you could work with me, it'll be awesome, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and it was very, very incoherent. And Kaylee, who was CC'd, immediately texted me and she's like, dude, fucking like abbreviate your emails, man. Like she was, <laughs> she was in the right um, but because I was still in that manic state, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize what was happening. I was just going to my crazy place. And I think maybe this is something where I have to kind of rework, um, how things are supposed to work professionally with me. Cause typically the whole point of like Kaylee and my partner and all these people around me is the support mechanism to keep me from going too crazy. But if I'm going to argue and be like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. This is how I'm going to do it because I want them to see how crazy I am, which is literally was my justification after the fact. So so, so fast forward, the woman I emailed, um, she emails me back. Very, very sweet woman. Um, and she's like, I would love to work with you. I don't have a home. I don't have an official studio anymore. So for the scope of what you're looking for, I don't think this is going to work out, but I still want to totally keep be kept in mind and blah, blah, blah. Like she's doing more live sound stuff. So it's still a, it was a positive experience, but it forced me to kind of take a step back. I was like, what am I doing? And I kind of realized my problem is I have separation anxiety and I'm constantly terrified of rejection. So the reason I wasn't reaching out to Mark Adell, and I haven't, <laughs> was because I was terrified that he was going to reject me. And the last thing I wanted was to try to have a conversation with him for him to tell me he was rejecting me. So it was easier to just let it go and not deal with it. And again, this is just me on this podcast being honest about my own mental issues that I tend to have. So 
So I kind of went, well, the Mark thing, I'm going to let that kind of go. Maybe he'll email me back like a week later and be like, oh, I was in Bangladesh, you know, whatevs. But so then I started kind of hunting around and then I was able to trim the email down to like a three paragraph email. (laughs) But in doing so, I kind of realized what it was I was really looking for. I think what happens is you get to this point especially for me anyway, where you're working on an album and you get to like the 75% writing marker, right? You get enough of it written that you have an idea. You, you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. You see where the thing's heading, but you want to be able to also keep the momentum moving. And, and working on an album is like running a marathon. You have to have a constant, steady pace of constant work. I know, constant, constant, constant. But you have to, you pace yourself. You pace yourself and you keep pushing. When you get to the point where the writing is nearing, like you're not done, but you're templating everything out and you have that positive direction, you got to keep that momentum. Because it's very easy. It's like going to the gym, right? You go to the gym five days a week and then all it takes is for you to go one day where you're like, ah, I don't have time. And the next thing you know, it's like six months and you're spending 12 bucks a month at Planet Fitness and you've never gone. (laughs) And the only way to cancel the membership is to show up to Planet Fitness to cancel. But if you actually showed up to Planet Fitness, you would probably be working out. So it defeats the whole purpose. They've got an amazing business model. Um, and that's how they take all my money from me. Um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. And no, I have not gone to the gym. <laughs> so I think that's where I'm at. And that that I wanted to share that experience because I'm sure I'm not alone. I think it's a very normal thing for an artist to kind of go through where you have that moment and you start to freak out and you start to realize that you're wrapping up your part of the deal. Now you need help. Now you need to track out, right? So, you know, you want to start kind of working out a studio arrangement so you can start mapping these things out because you want to know, am I going to be recording this at home? Am I going to be recording this in a studio? You know, how far along are we before we bring in the string quartet? There are these things that will give you tremendous anxiety. Even if you're in a band and you're in the rehearsal room, you get to a point where you get these songs polished up or you figure it out, you know. It's like, there's a reason studios exist. (laughs) You can't be the lead singer and be hit and record in your Pro Tools logic system. Like, you need someone else to be doing the work, you know? For me, the biggest thing is EQ adjustment. Like, I'm okay at doing EQ adjustment, but you hear me talking. Like, I'm not great at EQ adjustment. There are professionals. Those are the professionals I want. They're going to isolate every single frequency band and figure out the right EQ for the right tracks. You know, there's a lot of work that gets in there that's like it go, you know, to the normal listener. It doesn't feel like anything's changed, but it's that subconscious kind of weird EQ tweaking and mastering that just makes a song from okay to great to amazing. Like it's just there's that weird special sauce. You know, it's about creating what they call headroom. Again, we're not going to get technical. I start, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, so that's where I'm kind of at. Um, I did start talking to one audio engineer. Um, she seems pretty amazing. And I like her credits. Um, but she's associated with... So when you're looking for an audio engineer, and this is where I'm going to get into this. So that's a mental health component. I'm much better, by the way. Thank you for asking. I think... I acknowledged it was a manic state, and then through the amazing love and support of my boyfriend, <laughs> he was able to kind of talk me off the cliff. 
Um, I'm still like, I, I still got issues going on, but I, I think I've kind of sorted through the nuts and bolts of it. And, I, and I'm like in a better place now, which is why I'm doing the episode because now that I'm in the better place and kind of talk about it, um, you know, again, having those other people in your life, especially when you're working on an album is always great because it gives you the objectivity. It allows you to step back. It also tells you these deadlines and all these things you're putting on yourself, you're putting them on yourself. It isn't that they're not needed. It's just don't, don't sweat the small shit, man. Just going to leave it at that. So, so I've been talking to an audio engineer, um, the studio, <laughs> so, so of all, all the people I've kind of like, there was one person, right? So, so the first person I wanted wasn't going to be a right fit. They didn't have a studio. The person I do want has a studio. Now I'm just waiting for the studio to come back and tell me what their rates and availability are, which is terrifying me because I'm starting to realize that maybe I was pampered at Seaside with a $600 a day rate that included the audio engineer and that we can quickly descend into chaos and that this is going to be a little bit more of a pricey venture. When we get there, I will share those details and, and I'll probably have more pitching to do, but I haven't heard back. So I, I've only talked to the audio engineer who seems super stoked and I'm really excited for the actual studio to book the time. I haven't heard anything yet. So not really sure where that's at yet, but that's perfectly okay. At least I got some balls in motion. Um, and that's important. I, I think after all my rambling and all my sharing of music and all of this, the important thing is to breathe, is to keep the ball rolling, to keep organizing, to keep hacking away. But when you start seeing yourself getting a little crazy, to take that step back, talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your support mechanisms, like, Albums are hard work, and if you're doing an album right, it should be a very emotional experience for you. But that's always going to come with caveats, and that's always going to come with those moments where you need to check yourself. You need to double check, triple check, quadruple check to make sure that your frame of mind is right. Because I can guarantee you, if I went into this manic state and I went back into writing music it would not be a pretty experience. And I know this from personal experience. Um, so I was very fortunate that all my manic craziness went and was forced upon these poor audio engineers <laughs> that were getting five page emails. But now that I've settled through that, now I'm going back to the music, sharing it with you guys, and things are in a little bit happier place. So, so that's where I'm gonna leave it. That That is my episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, I would do the normal boring thing. Oh, by the way, I deleted Facebook and I stopped using Instagram. I'm still on Twitter, TC Crosser, T-C-C-R-O-S-S-E-R -S -S -E on Twitter. Love the Twitter. Facebook, I was sick of the privacy shit, all the, the data and the algorithms and bleh, I couldn't do it. So I'm gonna leave it at that. All right, folks, have a good one. And I promise next episode will be a little bit more technical driven about all of my fun new pedals and stuff like that. But until then, take care. Crispy, crispy taco.